Hi, I'm Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media and your host for the Housing News Podcast. We have a fun episode today focused on brand, marketing, and building businesses in the real estate brokerage industry. Our guest is Christina Panos, the Chief Marketing Officer at the Corcoran Group, and also a 2022 Housing Wire marketing leader. Christina is really generous with her time and expertise and experience today and speaks with me about building brand and what she's done at the Corcoran Group. We talk about agent relations, social media. We even go deep on postcards. And we close out the episode talking about Corcoran Affiliates and some of the messages that Corcoran Affiliates president, Stephanie Anton, shared at the Gathering of Eagles a few weeks ago. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Christina Panos, the Chief Marketing Officer at the Corcoran Group. Hey folks, this is Clayton again, and I invited Brenda Nath back on the Housing News Podcast to give you a little more detail on Housing Wire Annual. And if you listen to this show regularly, you've heard our longer overview of what Housing Wire Annual is and what you can expect from that event. But I wanted to give you a quick reminder. So we are building Housing Wire Annual for executives and leaders in the housing industry. This is Housing Wire's mortgage-focused event that covers everything in mortgage finance, from origination, servicing, secondary markets, and partnerships with real estate, title, and valuation professionals. All the things that have to happen to have an efficient housing ecosystem and an efficient transaction process for borrowers and home buyers. Brenna, you wanna give us a little more detail? Yeah, from just even starting out with the speakers, you have people like Frank Martell, the CEO of Loan Depot, our own Logan Motoshami, lead analyst over at Housing Wire, Sandra Thompson, FHFA director, and even Selene Kalam, who's the CEO of Thrive Mortgage. These executives are taking the stage, but I wanna go a level deeper there. um, And it's what are they talking about that actually applies to you? So they're addressing How are they staying profitable in this business? How are they creating communication flows from the top down and making sure that everyone through the company is driving that business forward? How are they making the tough decisions this year? As Clayton has talked before and probably interviewed many guests on this podcast, it's a tougher market. But even though it's a tougher market, there's still people who are growing. So how are they winning that market share? And what does their mindset have to do with that? And so two of the big buzzwords that we use are actionable items and insights and walking away. But that is something we actually took and then went a level deeper to make sure we're we're creating those opportunities for you guys, whether it's on the pickleball core or staying after in the sessions to chat with these leaders at these companies. It's the people you want to be in the room with. As Clayton said before, it's you want to be surrounded by people who are growing because there's the level of energy. I don't know about you guys, but when I leave a conference, it's that energy that you want to take with you back to your business as you build out more strategy for 2024 and beyond. That's why we call it the starting line, right? You're, You're starting your business for the future. So that's where I would kind of touch on to start with. All right, let me bring it to the call to action here. So if you want to learn more about Housing Wire Annual, visit housingwireannual.com. Or if you're on Housing Wire, you can click the events tab and see all of our events, Housing Wire Annual included. This event is October 10th through 12th in Austin, Texas. And for our housing news audience, we're bringing you a special promo. I'm not even going to tell you what it is on air right now. Um, You have to DM me. So you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Clayton Collins, CEO of HW Media, easy to find, or on Instagram at housingclayton. So check us out. Join us at Housing Wire Annual. We are building this event for the housing news podcast audience. This is the content that you appreciate if you listen to this show. Thank you. See you in Austin.
So we're kicking off this episode of Housing News. I'm in our our headquarters in in Dallas, and um, Christina, I think you uh, you thought you might have had us beat on temperature today, but um, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know that uh, New York beats Texas on temperature in in July. It doesn't. For us, it's very hot, but I don't think we can compare two parts of the South and Midwest. So you won that battle. It um. There's a very large part of me that that one day hopes to spend my my summers closer to where you are right now versus uh, d- down here in Dallas. Um, I I have to brag about Dallas for a second. We've have I, I've lived in New York before moving here when we acquired Housing Wire in, in 2016, and uh, I was so impressed by the really long spring and summer we have here. So we actually do get four seasons, and we get this like really awesome—not spring and summer, spring and fall. We get this like great shoulder season, which um, I, I have to remind everybody about. It's not always 107 degrees here. We should remind people about that. I feel like that's a little known fact. And there have been some years in New York where we haven't seen four seasons. This year we have. But we did have a nice we did have a nice spring. But uh, that's something that you should, you know, talk to the tourism board in <laughs> Dallas about because little known fact. Our our head of sales Jennifer Laws likes to to use the phrase um, "not my circus, not my monkeys." She she knows where to spend her time and uh, when not to. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna let the tourism board handle their own messaging for now. I'll, I'll focus on building housing wire. You know, I never heard that expression, but I could use it a lot in my job. So I think I'm gonna write that one down. Yeah, I think it's a good one that fits in any sales or marketing leadership role. Which which brings us to you, Christina. You're leading marketing at Corcoran Group. Tell us about the evolution to the role that that you are in right now. Well, I am coming up on my 20th year, so that is um, quite a long time. Uh, we had a party not too long ago where Pam was introducing me or saying something nice. And she used to say that she stole my youth because I started the company when I was not 30. And she said, I stole her youth and now I will steal her middle age. And so, uh, you know, it's lovely to have had the longevity, but yes, it's been a very long and fulfilling experience at Corcoran. So when I started, I was not yet 30 years old. So you can do the math. And I was expressly brought in to revitalize the brand with the departure of Barbara Corcoran. So, you know, she sold the company in 2001. I arrived in 2004. And that was a big time of transition. You know, she founded the company in 1973. We are going on our 50th year this year. So it's a big anniversary year for us. And the question was, after building such an amazing company and having a brand that is so tied to Barbara and her iconography, her personality, what is the next step? And so at 29, uh, 28 and a half, I took the job. And when Barbara, who was still in the building at the time, saw me, she knocked on my door, which was really more of a little cubicle. And she said, how old are you? You know, like, who is this person coming in to make these big decisions? And I I lied about my age because I was too embarrassed to say 20-something. <laughs> so I knew I was almost 30, and I said, uh, I'm 30. And, uh, you know, that was that. But so it was a very big task to take on, and um, that's basically the, the reason why I was hired. And I set out to do a top-to-bottom kind of rebranding of the company without Barbara as sort of the the brand icon. And um, I, I can go into more detail, but that's sort of why I was hired and how it all started out. Yeah, I, I'd love to go into more detail. I mean, we're, um, I'm 
we recently actually hired a, a partner to help us at HW Media go through a brand exercise. And we're, we're kicking. I actually have a call this evening as part of the, the kickoff process there. Um, we're a combination of multiple acquisitions, Housing Wire, Real Trends, Reverse Mortgage Daily, Altus Research. There's a lot we need to do to tighten our brand and story. So I'd love to hear some of that like decision making in the in the early 2000s. I I imagine was like I'd, I'd love to hear like kind of what some of the whiteboard sessions looked like as you made decisions on how do you move past an icon um and you ultimately chose to keep the name on the door. So I'm I'm curious of like how that decision making making process worked out and then how that's um that decision you've made how that's like tra- or translated over the the last two decades. Yeah. Well, the name was going to be the name. They bought the name, but it was not her physical likeness. So I was not hired from real estate background. I started my career in advertising. I worked for a large advertising agency in New York called J. Walter Thompson. And I worked on a variety of consumer products from toothpaste to uh, mouthwash and then to diamonds. So I worked in the luxury and I worked at sort of the lower um, you know, mass product. And then I was very fortunate to be hired over to MasterCard. I got hired by a boss of mine at JWT and MasterCard basically provided me this incredible training ground in not just marketing and advertising, but really consumer research. And so this is going to be my, my big advice to you. So um, you can follow my path here, but um I'm sure you know the campaign Priceless. It is MasterCard's campaign of over 20 years and really, I think, transformed their whole business. And the campaign was really based on this idea of not really focusing on the transactional aspects of the card and why one card had better benefits than the other, but really what are the experiences that money can't buy that you can allow people to have by using your card? So it was really more of an emotional positioning, more about bringing people together and and allowing them and enabling them to have priceless, memorable moments with their friends and family. And then they created these really beautiful, memorable advertising commercials and print around it and really is, you know, in the Advertising Hall of Fame. And so when I got there, my job was to see how this campaign can translate overseas And the most important lesson that I learned at MasterCard was really how important it is as a brand to get very close to the consumer. And they didn't really make a move unless they knew that it was based on a true consumer insight. And so the best way to move overseas and make sure that the advertising was relevant was to make sure we did enough research in each market to understand those consumers. So I ended up being on this really amazing global team where we went from country to country and took the time and the money to sit and do a lot of consumer research focus groups about what mattered and what was priceless to people in each market. So I spent many, many hours in dark rooms around the world learning what is, what's the ideal family vacation in Tokyo versus Sao Paulo versus Sydney, and really got to understand those cultures. So it was a little bit marketing. It was like a little anthropology, a little sociology. And then we built advertising around all of those really genuine consumer insights. And that's why the campaign was able to travel was because we didn't just take work from the U.S. and sort of slap it on another country. So here I was really steeped in research, really steeped in understanding the consumer. And so after four and a half years of that, I really looked to move on because I was traveling so much and I saw the Corcoran job opportunity. I literally opened up the New York Times paper and saw the ad there, which does not happen anymore. I met Pam and her question to me, so Pam was obviously 
at the company has been now for longer than Barbara ever was. And she said to me, well, what's our new campaign going to be? And I said, well, it's not really about a campaign, but like, who are you now? You know, what are you going to stand for? If you're not going to stand for Barbara, what is unique about Corcoran's position? What do you know? You know, what did, what does research say about how consumers feel about real estate, buying, selling the process, working with agents. And not surprisingly, she didn't have any research. I doubt that many residential real estate firms even today take the time to do consumer research. But that's all I really knew. And I knew that, and this would be my advice to you, that you're only going to want to change and establish who you are once and you want to do it the right way. And so it really is worth taking the time to make sure that whatever you are going to position your company around is genuine, is authentic, is truthful, and you feel good enough about it that you're never you're never going to need to change it. It's based on something that is universal and that is applicable to to everybody. And so I said, I would love to do this, but I really would love to work with you to actually spend time doing research on the category and on on how consumers feel about real estate. And she said, great. So we spend, so when you say whiteboard sessions, the whiteboard sessions were really focus groups across our markets, Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Hamptons, South Florida. And when we did the research and we got in the room with all of these different consumers who had bought or sold in the past six months to a year, people did not start talking about, oh, well, I really cared about location. And I was really intent on getting oceanfront or waterfront. It was really an emotional conversation. People in our groups really broke down and talked about what an emotional process buying and selling is. I think we all know that. There's really nothing more personal than your home. And one of the biggest and most important and personal decisions of your life is buying a home and then eventually selling that home. And I couldn't believe how clear it was and how consistent it was everywhere we went that people talked more about the emotion around real estate than the transactions around real estate. And to me, it was clear that no one in the real estate category was operating in this emotional high ground. And it was a territory that was ours for the taking. And it was most relevant for us to plant our flag there, having been built by Barbara, who really created more of a family business than anything else. She was very much into collaboration. She instituted co-broking in New York. She really built a family. I think we've tried to hold on to that feeling all these years later. And so it was the perfect fit for us. And that is basically what came out of all of our research and all of our whiteboarding was that we were going to really be the brand that talks about real estate in a different way, that takes it from an emotional standpoint, understanding who people are, what's in their heart, how we can match what's in their heart by having the most empathetic consultants, agents in our, in our business and to help people live who they are, which became our tagline and has been really our guiding mission all of these years and speaks to everything that we do from how we train our agents, how we advertise. And so that was really the process for coming up with what the next step was going to be for, for Corcoran, how we were going to present ourselves to the world. We reestablished ourselves in 2004, and we have been single-minded in that brand all these years later. And of course, now that is expanding around the country through all of our affiliates. But um, really, it was an emotional space that no one was occupying. And it seemed like a real no-brainer to me. You know, like 
you've bought or sold, I'm sure you can relate to it, but no one in the category was really talking about it that way. And so that's basically defined who we are. So you, you talk, it's clear the value of brand to you and the organization, Christina, but it doesn't seem like that's a universally held value across real estate brokerage and real estate sales. So how did you and the leadership team at Corcoran back in 2003, 2004 decide this was brand was going to be a huge priority? And, and why do you think this might not be a universally held like high value across some of your competitors and, and markets across the US? I think because of my experience, there were very few people when I was hired back in 2004 in our company, and I imagine the business, I'll just give you New York for an example, who came from anywhere else other than real estate. Even the team that I inherited, it was former agents or this person worked for an agent. Now they're going to work on your marketing team. Real estate did not attract marketing professionals who went to college and had really you know, great degrees or worked in, in advertising or marketing and then came to real estate. It did not attract that kind of talent. And it was almost a fluke that I ended up there. I grew up in the New York area. I knew who Barbara was. I had had this amazing experience, but I worked on a very large team and I wanted to do my own thing. And I saw this as an opportunity, but there were not many people that had my experience in the business at the time. And this was the only way I knew forward. You know, I understood how a, a really a brand that connects with people can really become a brand that people are loyal to and that they want to work with. So I knew that having a strong brand, even in a business with independent contractors. And as you said, it, it is a rare thing, but I knew that there would be a role for a brand, especially if we found a way to connect with people on an emotional level. And I think that a lot of firms potentially don't go this route because I always say it's lonely at the top. It, it is hard to maintain that focus when there are so many competing interests and a lot of it has to do with resources. You know, a lot of people, there are a lot of needs, you know, resources for agents, resources for tech, resources for data, resources for offices, that it's hard to convince people to pry some of those resources away and use it for brand building and use it for impactful advertising. But I am lucky, I will say it for as long as I'm working at the company that had I not partnered with Pam and had she not trusted me and believed in my approach that the brand was important, I don't think that it, it would have worked. So we've now worked together for almost 20 years and we have a really good partnership and understanding. And she believed in, in what we were doing and has to this day. And I think that when I do affiliate pitches or I meet potential new affiliates, the first thing that they mention when I meet them is the brand. Yes, they know that we're number one in our markets. Yes, they know. But the first thing they're attracted to about Corcoran is the brand. I can say that with 100% assurance. All right. So let's go deeper on, on attraction. And so brand has a, a big impact on the type of agents that are attracted to, to work for a real estate brokerage. Um, I hope hopefully it attracts the right people, propels or repels the, you know, the, the wrong fit. How does brand and how does this um, this focus on the emotional side of the real estate transaction influence the agents who are successful at Corcoran? I do believe that the brand for both agents and affiliates has become a bit of a beacon for agents who have a certain type of business, and that's a business based on relationships. Obviously, this is a relationship business. It's a referral business. The best agents that I know have 
they never need to even advertise because the phone's always ringing because it's from repeat business or for referrals. So at the end of the day, it's a business about relationships and they know that they're coming to a company that really puts a very high, high price tag on that and that we really, really value personal relationships and that they're going to get the most support from us in training and coaching on how to make those relationships deeper, how to leverage them, how to get more referrals. This whole emotional perspective, Live Who You Are, has become embedded in our training, in our in our coaching, in our education. And it's really the way that we talk to our agents about growing their business. And so I think we attract a certain kind of agent that relates to that and that has a business that's kind of fueled by by personal relationships. And then on the affiliate side, the same thing. You know, I, I met with a family business yesterday and they related to to me so much because they said, that's how we've become successful. We're a family business. We all work together. We really believe in the power of connection and that's the type of agents that we want to have at our company. And we know you feel the same way. So, you know, the business has been commoditized, <laughs> let's be honest, really, and um, disintermediated. And there is the one thing that I don't think you can replicate easily is the personal connection and the importance of relationships and that really what we call high touch consultancy, which is what we specialize in. Christina, for our audience members that are listening to this podcast and not watching on YouTube, I'll, I'll give a little visual description here. Um, I, I don't interview many CMOs that aren't rocking their a brand hat or t-shirt or have some prominently displayed logo in the background. Christina is sitting here in a beautiful office with a very nice piece of artwork behind her and not, not rocking the brand, but representing the brand so elegantly. So can you talk a little bit about like how you want Corcoran to pre- be perceived in the market and how that might differ from strategies that you see elsewhere in real estate and, and in mortgage? And I, I'd say that the hats and the t-shirts are probably a little more loud on the mortgage side than the real estate side. But um, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. Um, <laughs> I have always felt like if you need to shout how great you are, if you need to <laughs> wear your brand on your sleeve... Um, that perhaps you're not as great as you think you are. You know, I mean, I think we're a very quiet brand who we really know who we are. And so we don't feel the need to kind of shout how great we are from the rooftops. I have definitely gotten a lot of feedback over the years, or particularly as we've expanded on why don't you talk about how great you are or how, how much luxury business you do. There's obviously a very big interest in high-end market, luxury market. I was on a management call this week where we talked about the fact that out of every $100 million deal in New York, Corcoran has been on at least one side of that deal. So obviously we do the really, really high end. However, we still will rent the $2,000 walk-up apartment on the Lower East Side. And I have never wanted a brand that felt unapproachable to anybody. I always wanted the brand to have a feeling of inclusivity and approachability. And I feel like we need to present ourselves in a way that people relate to and are not intimidated by. So I think that is kind of reflected in, you know, I guess my style and the brand style. And I feel like luxury is really more of a feeling than anything else, not a price point or a um, a label. And you can feel luxury living in your studio 
I mean, I, I, I remember having a studio apartment myself when I first started and I thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> I, Christina, I am I am pretty certain. I'm gonna go like search my my old like college inbox for this, but I'm pretty sure my first fourth floor walk up was through a Corcoran agent. Oh, I want to know because she could he or she could probably still be with. Me. <laughs> so I loved that apartment, and I felt amazing in that apartment. And I've had nicer apartments since. So luxury really is a feeling, and it is not about having the highest price point apartment or home. And so. That's really what we want people to see us as the partner to help them find their definition of luxury and not sort of predispose what that is to people. So I think we do have a very quiet sophistication about us and we have always wanted to feel inclusive to everybody. And that goes for, you know, every everything about us is inclusive the way that we the causes that we support, the way that we treat people internally and externally. And that was always important since the beginning of, of Corcoran. And so I'm glad that we've been able to hang on to that all these years. So we kicked off the conversation with a pretty heavy emphasis on brand, but in your role as chief marketing officer, I'm sure there's other responsibilities that flow into the department of, of marketing. But you did mention having a very relationship-driven um, group of agents who get repeat business, referral business, don't emphasize advertising. So give us a glimpse into the rest of the role of chief marketing officer at Corcoran. Every day is different, but at the end of the day, my job really revolves around supporting people, whether it's my team, my team supporting agents, <laughs> my team supporting the advertising ecosystem, whether it's our website, our social media channels. It's a very, very public-facing role because there's always a need for information from, from Corcoran, whether it's arming our agents with information that they can then take to their clients on how the market's doing what we're doing on behalf of the agents to give them more tools to give to their clients and customers. Our, in the social media world, you have to be able to produce content on a daily, hourly basis in order to feed the beast, whether it's content that affiliates need, whether it's contents that, content that your agents need. Um, back when I started, content production just wasn't what it is today. You know, I mean, we had, we produced a couple of print ads a week and that was really, that was really it. And Corcoran had the first website and that was a, a massive, massive uh, moment for us to have the first real estate website. And now your eye really can't be taken off the ball at, at any moment. It's not just good enough to have social sites that are engaging to the consumer and to your agents, because then you have to make sure that your website has enough information on it to keep people coming back there and not only going to the aggregate sites. And then you have to make sure that your agent is happy with the photography vendors that we have. Your agents are happy with the amount of video options that we provide. I mean, there's there, it's a very, very challenging business to stay on top of. And if it wasn't for a really good team, I don't know how I would have kept doing it all, all these years. Cause the business is changing every day because of technology and, and I would say because of video. Um, 
But I think one of my best qualities has been hiring people and knowing what I do know and what I don't know. And I have always hired people who know more than me in different areas so that they can be the experts and I can guide them uh, based on my experience and my understanding of, of the brand and the business, but that they probably know more than I do, for example, about whether we should go on threads or not go on threads. <laughs> What's the decision? Going on threads. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's go let's go deeper on the whole social strategy. Social gets so much attention from from everybody in production roles, particularly in real estate. Fortunately, real estate's a pretty visual industry, so there's some um, great ways to leverage uh, Instagram and and other platforms to tell the story and and talk about the brand, but I'd love to hear how you at the corporate level guide your agents across the country or in your key markets on their on their social strategy and um kind of with a nod to the fact that you probably have some very social first agents and others that are are not quite as native to the platforms i think the most important thing about social is being authentic and being yourself that's number one and if you're not no one's really engaging with you and i've always felt that from the brand perspective the lucky thing for Corcoran is that we really are kind of all out there with who we are. You know, we are very open and we are not afraid to be funny. We're not afraid to be a little bit risky. We're not afraid to be um, a little bit silly. And so social has almost been designed for Corcoran, I think, out of, out of many of the real estate companies. So as a brand, it works very well for us because we can really kind of, I always say, fly our freak flag, you know, who we are on there from a brand perspective. We have a lot of fun with it. And obviously there are, we have to see what works every day. You know, it's sometimes we might be running a certain kind of content and it kind of wears out its welcome. And then we switch and we try something new. So we're always looking to see what works and doesn't work from a brand perspective. And for our agents, we give a lot of the same advice about authenticity, you know, um, when people do videos or they do content that feels too forced, people are not interested in it. And it's the agents who kind of either show a lot of their expertise and help people learn through their, their channel and really be of service to people or people who develop like really, really engaging, fun videos. I have one or two agents I could think of who take the time to do really, really unique videos. I mean, we had one agent who was doing showing an apartment and he was an ex-gymnast and he was doing backflips through every single room to show, to show them off. Okay. We have, you know, we have an, another amazing agent on the Hamptons who does a weekly video about what's going on in the market. And she does it in a very, very open and authentic way and answers people's questions that are maybe they're kind of too shy to ask, which are some very simple questions about how to buy and sell. Um, you have to really find your niche but you have to be consistent with it. You have to really make it part of your business. And if you can't do that, don't bother. <laughs> like, don't do it unless you really can do it in a way that is consistent and that feels authentic to who you are as a person. But it is great if you really do like that medium and you feel comfortable in it. I think it's a really good way to connect with people. I mean, don't you want to work with somebody who you feel like you want to go and have a, a drink with, you know, and, and that's kind of what you can tell by, by seeing how people come across on social. A hundred percent. I mean, it lets you stay in as a 
professional in any industry, it lets you stay involved in somebody's life, your client, prospect, partner, without um, being intrusive and allows you to give it an opportunity to get a glimpse into what the job is or even what the family life is. How do, do you advise agents on keeping accounts entirely professional, real estate focused, or kind of mixing in that that personal side and family side into the the flow? Like how how do you advise agents on on that type of decision making process? You know, unless for security reasons, they don't want to expose any parts of their personal life. I think it's a great decision to to mix the two. I really do. I think people in who are buying and selling with an agent want to get to know them as a person. Like I said, from the outset, it's a very vulnerable kind of role when you're working with an agent. They're really kind of getting to know you and everything about you. And you want to be comfortable with that person. So it's inevitable that you want to learn about their families. You know, I mean, I have so many agent friends of mine in New York who are now working with the grandchildren of the people they found their first apartment for. I mean, it's really an incredible business where clients and customers can become like family members and friends. You know, I don't know. And there can be longevity in those relationships. And I think that's a really unique part of the business. And if you don't like people, it's probably not the right business for you. And so Social gives you an opportunity, no matter what your age is, to show people who you are. And I think if I was brand new and looking for something and I didn't know any agents, like I would be very curious to know about who they are by looking at social and getting an idea for their temperament and what they're all about and what their personality is like. I think it's a really great tool for for agents in their business. But again, if it's stressful or if it feels like another thing to kind of like cross off the list every day, I don't think it's going to be uh, the right fit. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you manage kind of the the intersection or or collaboration between like corporate accounts and and agent accounts? And um I imagine there's probably some content at the agent level that you wish was a little bit different or wish represented the brand different. Like how do you guide that at a national level? Well, at the end of the day, someone in my role, you know, they they have a nickname for me at work, which I've come to accept is a is a compliment, but it's Brandzilla, <laughs> and I have because I've dedicated my career to keeping the brand consistent and pure. But you can't be too precious about that when you have a world of independent contractors that work for you. You know, I can do my best to talk to agents about the value of of being under the Corcoran brand umbrella and flying the brand flag and using guidelines and brand guidelines and using all of the tools that we give them to make their feeds or their their work consistent with the brand. But I, I can't police every single agent. And I'm happy to say that I don't find that much in our world that I think is off brand. But I obviously do not control the individual agent Instagram social accounts. But I hope that we, as a brand, provide a very good sort of role model for the agents in in what works. We've been really successful. We've been in, we were an early adopter in the whole social world to begin with, and I think that we've really figured it out and continue to learn and evolve. And we are always always looking for ways to be better. So I think that we tell them, you know, learn from us. But at the end of the day, it's their it's their own account and their and their own business. But um, I'm always looking. I love it. I, I I really I don't follow hundreds of agents, but I do have a bunch that I that I follow, and I I love when I see them using content. I love when I see them posting our ads. I love when I see them engaging with the brand or 
doing local sponsorships and and using the hats and the sweatshirts that you don't see on me today. Um, I, I do love that. So I, I, I have a hobby of just sort of scrolling through different um, corporate agents just to see what they're up to. I, I, I love it. You'll have to share with me some of your your favorite agent accounts. We, we have our, at our housing wire annual event that's coming up in October, we have a whole section on it called market, the marketing leaders summit. And we have different speakers on integrating data and marketing strategies. And we do this thing called the, the CMO playbook that, that talks about like some CMO strategies on leading um, social and lead gen and like different, different approaches based on the business at a, at a national level. Um, so if you have any best practices or accounts you love, I might figure out a way to integrate those into the event coming up in October. Yeah, I'd love to. So Christina, I want to reference an article. So uh, just a few, I think it was just a few weeks ago in late, late June, um, Housing Wire published an article and there's a, there's a quote from you in it talking about agent relations. And um, I think this was a really important topic to discuss right now. So I'll read part of the quote and you shared that one of the biggest challenges in the past year has been reassuring agents that there's still a viable business model despite current economic challenges. And um, I really try to focus this episode on like the opportunity and the growth, but we do it through the lens of like, hey, we know that there's a, we've, we've been through the ringer of um, of uh, low inventory, low volume and high interest rates. Um, so I, I'd love to hear more about how you and Pam and the other leaders at Corcoran um, emphasize or work on in, in agent relations and communication strategies that gives them confidence in the path that you're marching down? It's been a tough time. I, I definitely see things improving a little bit in the past couple of, of weeks. But like I said from the beginning, we really emphasize the importance of keeping up relationships with their past and current clients and having a dialogue with them on a kind of consistent level so that there's not a downturn like this. And all of a sudden they hear from them, you know, to really keep that business. I'm, I'm surprised sometimes when I meet people who have, I say, well, when's the last time that you have been in touch with your past clients? And they say, I don't know, 10 years ago, you know, I'm like, that is really what you need to be doing all the time is keeping up those relationships. And I think for a tough time, like now we've just kind of reassured people that at the end of the day, the business does turn around, but to continue to do what they were doing, if they were a good agent and they had a good business and they had a good referral business and the phone was ringing from people who worked with them to kind of double down on those relationships, you know, and maybe remind people in the really old fashioned ways that they're around what they're, what they specialize in. You know, I had an agent a success story the other day that uh, was really successful agent, but was having some, a quiet period. And so our team worked with her on a, a postcard campaign. Okay. We are in the world of all kinds of technology and digital marketing. And we advised an old fashioned postcard campaign to her client base, kind of saying hello and giving some updates on the market, but really kind of like a hello. And she came to us and said, you know, I haven't heard anything yet. It's been a couple of weeks. And we said, look, give it just a little bit longer. People need to get and process it. And she just came back the other day and said she couldn't believe the reaction she got from her postcard campaign. Like really a lot of people reached out to her. Maybe they hadn't heard from her for a while. So I kind of go back to the old fashioned techniques in a time like this. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to keep the faith and know that, that will, they will pay off. But 
I will go back to being a broken record, which is it's all about developing relationships with people and keeping them strong and not forgetting that that's what it's all about. And sometimes you can forget that when business is really hot and you don't take the time to kind of tend to that garden, but you got to keep doing that because in times like this, you're going to need to kind of call back on that, that, that black book, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, that's um, one of the biggest risks of like the, the bull market that we saw in, in, second half of 2020 and 2021 beginning of 2022 is it's there's a tendency and a risk of letting go of some of the the fundamentals and the core practices that that we've all learned as business professionals on how to build relationships and some of the energy and effort it takes to bring business to the door opposed to kind of waiting for it to knock i i see that issue um you know bubbling up not just in real estate but across all like sales oriented professions that there was a couple of easy years to, to grow. Um, but we're not there right now. Yeah. And you get impatient and, you know, you start to expect a certain level of, of business and you probably don't want to hear the marketing person say, Oh, maybe you should consider a postcard campaign. (laughs) But I do believe in old fashioned techniques uh, at some level. I'm not saying to not do everything else, but don't forget the power of writing in somebody a handwritten note. You know I mean? I, I, I am a big believer in that. And um, we, we, we had a class years ago about writing handwritten notes, honestly. And I think that goes a long way still really do. You talked about the Corcoran website. We talked about social strategy, but like postcards are not like they're not done. And uh, we, we have a client um, gentleman who runs a brokerage in Southern California and, um, he uses our Altus research product to print market updates on the back of customized postcards. And it's incredible, like to see, like bringing actual market intelligence to your, your past clients and future clients and referral sources. Um, and sometimes their actual USPS mailbox is the best way to get that in front of them. And I think about like y- using marketing real estate. Like I, I, you know, I still get some realtor uh mailers with with recipes on them and i'm like that that probably okay i I did there was one overnight oats recipe that i used um but uh but that real estate could have been better used with market intelligence i don't remember that agent's name but if an agent sent me a um a card with something that like actually had intelligence on it that that might have triggered a little different reaction better than just a better breakfast routine yeah, especially if you're like me, I live in an apartment building. And when I get something in the mail that says, you know, these these two apartments closed recently, and this is what, I mean, of course you're interested, you know, don't you want to know what's, even if you're not looking to to, to sell anytime soon, um, giving people information like that, I think it still has its, has a really good, um, a really good role. And sometimes in an unexpected way, you know, like in the mail, you know, go, go figure. Yeah. So Christina, I want to wrap our conversation talking about a, a pretty what I what I perceive at least is a pretty big business initiative at Corcoran, and that's Corcoran Affiliates. And at our Gathering of Eagles event in June, Stephanie Anton spoke, and she actually did like a CEO playbook and talked the talked the strategy for Corcoran Affiliates. It was a really really cool presentation and shared some of the growth over the last three years since this business unit launched in 2020. But tying this all back to, to brand, um, affiliates brings you into new markets with with new partners. Um, give us the CMO uh, viewpoint of Corcoran Affiliates. How do you ensure success? How do you ensure brand consistency? Um, I'd love to hear about this business through your lens. So this business took off in 2020, right? Right before, right before COVID. 
February 2020, right? So like literally. <laughs> so so here I was, you know, in quarantine. We had sold, you know, one or two affiliates, but I always imagine that when you're partnering with a new a partner, especially when you're partnering to begin with after being a brokerage for so many years, it's all about making the right connection. There you go back to to that concept. And so we would meet people in person and we would do these these experiences where we would you decide whether or not it was a fit. And the next thing you know, here we are in COVID and we were doing all of these pitches over Zoom. So in many cases, a lot of the first affiliates, the relationships were forged over a computer. I did not need them for at least a year. So that started things on an interesting foot. And I think that the timing was really odd in many ways, turned out to be very fortuitous because the business really, really took off. But I didn't really, because everything happened kind of virtually, I didn't really get a sense for the affiliate business until COVID was over and we got to sort of see people in person. And I have a couple of things to say. One, it's really wonderful to have a group of affiliates that now feel like an extension of the Corcoran family. We have always been, from the beginning, a very tight family-oriented team. And it has come to pass that the process of becoming an affiliate and finding affiliates for our our markets is like uh, self-fulfilling. We are attracting people, like I said, with the agents that see things the way we see things. We've been a beacon for them. You know, they come and say, oh, we love the brand or we love what it stands for. We love how it looks and they want to be part of it. And so sometimes I look around the room when we have affiliate gatherings and I say to myself, like, I I love hanging out with these people. You know, this is a great group of people and we have found each other and it was a great fit. So that's been a really nice piece of it. And I think that they really enjoy themselves having an affiliate network of other affiliate broker owners who also see things the way that they do and can also advise them on how they grow their business. But I think the heartwarming part for me has been how how much people love the brand and how interested they are in learning more about it and how much it translates seamlessly everywhere we go. Because the foundation of the brand is really based on the human insight about the importance of home and the importance of finding a home where you can live who you are. It's really a universal concept. So when we do a pitch in Texas, they get it. When we do a pitch in Canada, they get it. And here we are in Italy now, and they also get it. So similar to kind of my past life in MasterCard, where I sort of traveled the world and brought an American campaign overseas, we're kind of doing that now with the Corcoran brand in, in different markets. And we're seeing that our, our fundamental philosophy is really borderless. Wherever we go, people can relate to it. And of course, they need to make different tweaks depending on, on their market. But at the end of the day, they don't really need to make any changes to what the brand stands for and, and how it looks and, and operates. And when I do pitches for new affiliates, the presentation that I make, many of the slides are the same slides that I used in 2004 when we relaunched the brand (laughs) because we haven't really changed a word of our manifesto, who we are. And that's a really nice moment of coming full circle. And so all the years of keeping my head down and, and working on the brand and developing work that I think feels and looks different than everybody else. And sometimes, honestly, getting a lot of flack for it, either I spent too much money or I was too focused on it. And in the end of the day, I think it ended up paying off because people really connect to us. And so 
I've really enjoyed the expansion of the Corcoran brand. I've been thrilled about how it has gone. And of course, there is always the concern about people respecting who the brand is and what we stand for and how we operate. And so, of course, we have beautiful brand guideline books and we keep an eye on, I have a specific marketing team dedicated to the affiliates, keeping an eye on what people are doing. But for the most part, I've been pleasantly surprised that people have adhered to the brand and to the guidelines. And of course, they've put their own little spin here and there, which is fine. And I understand that. But I think they want to follow it. You know, they want to be part of the brand. They want to make sure that they respect it. And I, I'm very pleased about that. You know, that was of course my biggest concern when this kicked off was, will the brand be diluted? But I can pleasantly say that I don't think that it has. Christine, I think you'll be proud of, of one of the, um, one of the messages that Stephanie delivered on stage at the gathering. And she talked about there being kind of 10 key fundamentals that she held herself to and growing a business quickly or in a high growth environment. And one of the, the biggies that was emphasized was that you have to know who you are and know who you aren't. And I think that ties very tightly to the the message that you've delivered throughout this conversation. Yeah. And I appreciate that. We have one slide in our presentation deck that says, we are this, we are not that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, once you, once you know that and you are sort of Catholic about following that, which makes everyone's life easier, you know, like <laughs> what you see, we'll be very clear about who we are. So there are no surprises. Um, but um, yeah, I, I love to hear her say that. And she's been a great partner with me too, too. I couldn't have done this without someone, uh, you know, running the affiliate business who did not appreciate brand and, and understand my point of view. And so she's been a great partner. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your expertise. Really fun to learn about the history and the progress that you've made leading marketing and brand and an overall important part of the executive team at Corcoran. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please take a few seconds to rate Housing News on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot for the show, and we really do appreciate and listen to your feedback. Also, we're gearing up for Housing Wire Annual in October. Please visit housingwire.com forward slash events for full details about our big annual event in Austin, Texas.